The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 47, Etten Her Own Back, Part 2. Lucas followed Vasily into the porter's lodge and upstairs to his immaculate little flat. Rosamond says you're a fine young man in need of some help, and she's asked me to look after you, Vasily said, offering Lucas a chair at his tiny kitchen table. The space reminded Lucas of a typical Russian apartment, such as he remembered from childhood visits to relatives in the city. The place was spotless and, what was the phrase? Oh, yes, stuffed to the gills. Like a cabinet of curiosities where the greatest and most compelling curiosity was its chief occupant. Everything had its place and the space seemed to expand and fit around Lucas as he entered. It felt like home. I take it your time in this country hasn't spoiled your appreciation of real food? Vasily put a substantial piece of dark bread and a bowl of borscht in front of Lucas along with a plate of pale butter that looked home-churned of all things, a knife and a large, bowl-shaped spoon. A cut-glass cup of Russian tea appeared, nestled in a silver filigree ending in a looped handle. There were uneven lumps of raw sugar in a little bowl beside it. Don't tell me you take your tea with milk. This is a sin. Eat. What do I look like? King Arthur? Eat. You're making me thinner just looking at you. You eat. I will talk. Soon Isabel will begin her story again, and we will be part of it together. In the meantime, I will tell your future. Do you know what I am? The porter. Porter Lairmont, Lucas swallowed suddenly, nearly coughing in his haste to answer politely. The soup was really good. Funny boy. No, what I really am. You're a domovoy. I am the Domovoy, Lucas, the spirit of this place in these times. I saw you walk through your wall beside me as you let me in. Handsome and observant, this is good. So far, you are not a waste of my time. You need work, a home, a place to belong. I can give you that. I have prepared my, how you say, my box room, my spare storage room for you. You will share the rest of the apartment with me, and your board will be provided for you as well as your room. It's a small place. It's perfect, no problem, Lucas assured him, wondering if there was more soup. A plate of partially sliced sausage appeared on the far end of the table, as if intended as the next course, and his bowl was refilled. I will pay you out of my contingency fund. I have full discretion of its disbursement. Do you know what contingency means, comrade? Lucas shook his head. It wasn't a word he'd heard often. It's capitalism for mm, happens, what Western accounting allows to cover anything they hadn't accounted for. You will be my mm, nephew, to anyone who asks, my sister's son, and I'm helping you out. Your wages won't be huge, 
but between that, your food, and a clean, warm place to stay, I hope you will find it adequate, Vasili said in a voice that suggested Lucas couldn't possibly find the arrangements any other way. It's wonderful, amazing, thank you, Lucas stammered. I see you've come down with a case of rampant superlatives, a problem in English among the young, Vasili observed dryly. It's no more than you or anyone deserves. May I ask a question? Lucas inquired. Of course. We don't look at all alike. Will anyone believe I am your nephew? I am rarely questioned, regardless of the regime I serve. Vasily smiled, his mustaches swooping up in an amused outline as he grinned. Vasily was short, trim for his size, but well-muscled. Describing his coppery red hair as a shock hardly did it justice. Lucas was dark-eyed and had dark hair. While he wasn't tall exactly, his lithe build made him seem taller, and he had head and shoulders a few times over on his host. He took a piece of salami and bit into it, smiling suddenly. It was chocolate, a treat he recalled from childhood. Vasily nodded at Lucas's happy reaction. I like to feed people who like my food. And to answer your question, Boychik, you may look nothing like me, but you're a foreigner. To them, we all look alike. Lucas nodded in understanding. It's almost time for Isabel's story, he said. You like this girl, yes? No, don't answer that. The look on your face like a pole-axed bull. Stupid is not a good look for anyone, Romeo. Remember that. Watch yourself around her. She's Rosamond's charge. Be the perfect gentleman her brother is not, or I'll bring you down to my height for a start and chop off any parts of you that prove troublesome. Vasily rolled up his sleeves and reached for a large cleaver, deftly slicing the rest of the chocolate salami and swishing the blade in front of Lucas like a trained swordsman to underline his words. Lucas leaned forward abruptly, heedless of the bits of himself Vasily might have casually lopped off to emphasize his point. Isabel is here? Yes, she's quartered in the biology lab and works there, thanks to the efforts of her supervisor just as the college entered lockdown, Vasily said. She mentioned that, Lucas affirmed, looking at his phone. She's starting the second part of her story. The two gathered companionably at the little kitchen table around the phone screen. Confronted with the tarnished knife, Rab explained to his mother that he had to search for Andy because he was in grave danger, Isabel continued. His mother feared for him, but gave him a pitcher and asked him to fetch water from the well. I'll bake you a bannock for your journey, she said. Like Andy's bowl, Rab's pitcher proved to be less than sound. By the time he was halfway home with the water, more than half had leaked out. A wise old hoodie flew overhead, cawing, Seal it with clay! Seal it with clay! Rab went back and took some wet clay from beside the well, smearing it on the outside of the pitcher to help seal the crack and refilling the jug. It held until he got home, and with the generous amount of water, his mother was able to bake a large bannock. She blessed him with all her heart and wrapped the still warm bread for him to take. She watched until he disappeared around the bend in the road, but when she turned back into the house, she found that Rab had left her half the bannock. As Rab went on his way, 
he met an old woman who begged for some of his bread. He gave her half of what he carried without hesitation. In gratitude, the old woman gave him a silver wand. It's full of magic and you'll need it at the Etten's castle, she warned him. Rab thanked the old woman for her counsel and generous gift and continued on his way. Like Andy, he met a shepherd, a swineherd, and a goatherd, all looking after large herds of the Red Etten's excellent livestock. When he met the goatherd, Rab was likewise warned to watch himself around the wild, masterless creatures that were neither sheep nor swine nor goats, and who were possessed of two fierce heads each, topped with four branching twisted horns. As he went along, he sang the verse of the song that foreshadowed the Red Etten's possible downfall. It's said there's one predestinate to be his mortal foe, but that man is yet unborn, and lang may it be so. But it might be me, Rab thought to himself, secure in the knowledge that he had his mother's blessing and a magic wand. When he found himself in the midst of the monstrous herd, he ran for his life. But one of the hideous beasts gave chase, seeking to run him down and spit him on those terrible horns. Rab stepped out of the beast's path just in the nick of time and struck it with the silver wand. It fell down dead and the rest of the herd took to their infernal heels. Rab, shaken but unhurt, ran on until he came to a huge castle. He knocked on the door and an old woman answered. Who might you be? she asked. I'm a young lad from near Fife, seeking shelter from monsters and looking for my friend, Rab said earnestly. We're practically crawling with lads from Fife running for their lives today, the old woman cackled. One of your countrymen was here a little while ago, perhaps the very one you seek. He didn't affair so well. If you think the beasts were perilous, wait until you meet my lord. He'll have three heads to find you with, and when he does, you'll wish yourself anywhere but here. Did you come with your mother's blessing? she asked. Aye, Rab said puzzled. What good son wouldn't? What good son indeed, she replied. No time to debate that. Come in and hide behind my chair. I'll not reveal you to my master. Rab did as she told him, and soon the red Etten stomped and thundered through the door. As before, he craned three heads into the corners of the kitchen, shouting, Be he from Fife, or be he from Tweed, his heart this night shall season my bread. One head turned to glance behind the old woman's chair, and in a trice Rab was hauled before the fearsome giant. I'm going to ask you three things, the giant said. I'm fair, so any one right answer and you'll live. Three wrong answers and I'll turn you to stone with my mallet. Here is the first question. How many ladders do you need to reach the moon? One, Rab said, but it must be long enough. You're a smart lad, said the red Etten, and the eyes on one of the giant's heads closed in sleep. When Rab saw this, he said, ask me another question. How long would it take to travel round the earth? A day and a night, if I went as fast as the sun and moon. The red Etten looked anxious as another pair of eyes closed. Ask me one more question, Rab challenged. What kind of wood is neither bent nor straight, the giant asked, a little reluctantly. Sawdust, Rab shouted in triumph. 
The red Etten's last pair of eyes closed. Oh, Crivens, my mortal foe, the Etten moaned to himself as he slumped to the floor, fast asleep. Quick as thought, Rab jumped up and grabbed a hatchet near the fireplace and chopped off the giant's sleeping heads. He left the old woman napping in her chair and went looking through the castle for Andy. He found him petrified in one of the galleries and struck him lightly with the silver wand. He turned back into himself immediately, grateful to see his dearest friend. In like manner, Rab turned all the stone statues back into people, including a bonny lass who understandably took an immediate shine to the brave and handsome youth. Rab led everyone away from the enchanted castle and dispatched all the fierce beasts with the silver wand as soon as they encountered them. In the woods just outside Rab's village, he met the old woman who had given him the silver wand. Here's your magic wand back and I thank you for the loan of it. I have my friend back and more, he said happily, looking down into the lassie's pretty smiling face. The whole village turned out to welcome the two boys home, and they made a feast for all the people the giant had ensorcelled and held captive. Andy returned to his mother's croft and knew the true worth of her blessing ever after that. Rab married the bonny lass, and if his own mother blessed him when he left on his adventure, she blessed him twice over on his return. The Decameron shuffled. Four of diamonds. As Jack and Lucas were thanking Isabel for her story, Owen burst through the door of the lab. He looked like something hell had rejected for health and safety reasons. Baba Yaga grinned. Obviously, a few well-timed unlock spells beat the Domovoy's keys. Rosamond sent a frantic message. He's here! Koshche appeared outside the lab door with Jack's little box of heaven and hell poised between his fingers. He blew it like a leaf through the vent, and it slid with a shower of swirling code onto the phone in Owen's pocket, adhering invisibly like a screen protector. Jack's code deployed. Vasily looked in alarm at Lucas. She's unlocked the doors by magic. Normally I would tell you to keep your distance until we arrange things, but get to the lab now. Lucas didn't need to be told twice. An arrow on Rosamond's bracelet flared up and he was gone. Vasily followed as quickly as his office and observance of the laws of physics allowed, marveling at Lucas's swiftness. The kid's so fast, he comes with his own Doppler shift, he thought as he hurried along, even as the objects in his little kitchen vibrated and swayed to stillness from Lucas's departure. Isabel! Owen roared, advancing on his sister. Isabel stood up and closed her eyes as her hand closed over her pendant. When she met her brother's malevolent gaze, her twilight eyes roiled emerald and then settled into gold. She did not blink. Lucas arrived to see Owen raise his hand to strike Isabel, not on his watch. He saw a change come over Isabel's posture. She grew taller, and it was as if she were cloaked in shimmering armor that had always been just under her own skin. Go on, Sparky. Get fired up, Koshche urged. Lucas didn't need to be told twice.
The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful storied place, the ancestral lands of the Sinemuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.